Welcome to the Bank of Me podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance build strong cultures. Hosted by James Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. I'm joined on this podcast by Sam Bramley, who is part of the Sustainable Finance Division within Standard Chartered Bank. It's an exciting area in its own right, but as Sam will elaborate, it's also something that's proving a big cultural factor for the bank. So Sam, welcome. Thank you. Sam, first of all, introduce yourself properly because I tried your title twice and I've got no chance <laughs> at it. So. It's not a very user-friendly title. So I work in the environmental and social risk management team at Standard Chartered and we're part of a wider division that is very new in the bank called Sustainable Finance. So it's a small name, but mm-hmm. can you unpack it? Because from talking to you, there's a lot there, isn't there? There is, and the team's role within the bank has changed hugely in the two years that I've been there. So when I joined the bank, it was very much a risk management function. So we would primarily look at new clients wanting finance from the bank and new projects wanting to be financed by the bank and look at what the environmental, social and human rights impacts were going to be of those particular projects or clients. So it was very much a job mitigating impacts and risks and things like that. Now, since I've been there, it's developed hugely and is now seen as a much more proactive part of the bank, where we actually, the team I work with sets a lot of the standards for the bank in terms of different sectors like mining, oil and gas, palm oil, chemicals, and we look at all these sectors and decide who are the best actors in these areas and what sort of criteria we should use to assess good practice. And what we do is set a number of position statements which are available publicly on the website, which set out what we expect of clients in terms of environmental, social and human rights practice if they operate in one of those sectors that are known to have potentially significant risks to the environment. That's just to take a step back there. You gave us a huge list. Mm. So oil, gas, chemicals, palm oil, which is obviously mm-hmm. a very big one at the moment. Yeah, That's global. How mm. big is this in terms of what you do? I mean... What we do is huge. (laughs) The team is quite small. I mean, we have seven people in the team, but we do look at these sectors on a global scale. Having said that, the bank only works in emerging markets. So all of the projects we look at are in Asia, Africa, some in the Middle East. So we only really look at those uh, markets, but we would look at all the transactions basically that go on in the bank. So obviously with a team of seven people, a lot of that has to be automated. So the things that actually land on my desk are normally the problematic ones where they have already been flagged up as being high risk for modern slavery, for deforestation, for labour abuses or things like that that maybe need extra scrutiny or extra discussion with the client to see how they're going to manage the different risks of the projects. So potentially you're saying no to projects. 
Yes, I mean, the, the team doesn't have veto rights as such, so we cannot turn down a project. However, the reality is, if a project is contentious and has been flagged as being high risk, the management team are extremely unlikely to support it if my team doesn't support it. So pretty much if a, if a project comes to us and we say, I'm sorry, the risk of this project are too great, or this client is known to have deforestation in its palm or supply chain, you know, ESRM, which is my team, cannot support this. You'll have to take it to the management team. The, they already know that if they take it to the management team without our support, it'll be turned down. So it is taken very seriously in the bank. And what's driving this? What's, what's behind the bank having such a close scrutiny on where the money's going? Again, I think that has changed and is changing day by day. I think initially it was credit risk. So if you back a client that has some big skeletons in their cupboard and the media get hold of it or NGOs get hold of it, you know, it's likely that they'll lose their license to operate or other investors will pull out and all of a sudden, you know, it's a credit risk because they can't repay their loan. But now it's much, it's moved much further from that. And it's in terms of the reputation of the bank. The bank wants to be seen. I mean, one of our mottos is we are here for good. So you don't want to be associated with any projects or clients that do bad stuff, basically. You want to support the good players. You want to promote sustainable practice. You, you want to only support clients that are, have a strong stance against deforestation and things like this. You want to be above your peers in being the best actor out there. Because every year, well, every month, we get rated by different external agents or NGOs to say, you know, where does Standard Chartered sit amongst all the banks in terms of good practice and, you know, supporting companies that don't do, you know, I don't know, drilling in the Arctic or don't fund fossil fuels or don't do coal. You know, we want to be at the top of the list as the good guys. So it has, definitely has moved from covering yourself uh, from a risk perspective, to actually wanting to be seen as a leader in terms of... And that's the point of this new team, Sustainable Finance. It's only been going for nine months or so. But the whole point of it is actually the bank sees that is where the market is going. Yeah. Now people, investors, don't want to have anything to do with a company that isn't going to be sustainable or going to do green projects and has an emphasis on renewables as opposed to fossil fuels and so we're trying to keep up really with the demand of the market so what you're describing there really is that it's good business and that's from the head mm-hmm. what about from the heart in terms of why you guys do that that must factor in yeah i mean the my team is is quite unique in that we work for a bank but none of us are bankers i mean my background is <laughs> I mean, many years ago, I was an anthropologist. Um, I worked for Save the Children. I've done, you know, that's where my heart is and my passion is. And within the team, I'm the sort of social and human rights specialist. My colleagues have similar interesting backgrounds. Again, none of them are bankers. They are all super passionate about what they do, about the environment. And it's quite an anomaly in a way to stick us in the middle of of a load of bankers who want to get deals done and, and get their big bonus at the end of the year. But it's... It's not as cliches as that anymore. I mean, we have a list as long as your arm of people in the bank who want to join the team because they believe in it. And we get constant feedback, you know, blogs and all sorts on our what we call the bridge page in the bank, which is, is a constant sort of almost like a Twitter feed, but internal. So I think most most people in the bank want to work for a company that 
believes in this stuff genuinely isn't just playing lip service. They love the fact that we have a team that is just dedicated to environmental reasons and social and human rights. And we have a lot of applications from people all the time that want to come and work for the team and who give a lot of good feedback that they like the fact that the bank has taken quite a strong stance in different sectors and has quite clearly said, we won't fund this, you know, we won't finance that, we won't be involved in this sort of behaviour, we won't, you know, we'll get rid of clients if we find out they've chopped down a jungle or they've, you know, poisoned a river or they've done whatever. We take quite a strong stance on what we will and won't finance. And people like that. They like to feel that they go and do their day job and they're not doing anything harmful and you know, ideally they're doing something good. I mean, the whole green movement is massive in the bank now in terms of green bonds and blue bonds, which try and protect oceans and sustainability linked bonds, which are trying to promote the sustainable development goals and gender specific bonds. And, you know, it's a big, big thing now that the bank is pursuing quite heavily and people who work in the bank love it. They feel good about it. That's amazing. I didn't know you did so much. Thank you for that. So do you get people wanting to join the bank just because of what you do now and how you do it? That's definitely part of the reputation that I was talking about earlier because we have a big graduate recruitment scheme and there's a lot of research done about how do you get the best graduates. And it's not just about money anymore. I mean, obviously I'm not a banker, but I would presume as a graduate you join a bank because you want to make money. But nowadays it's it's more complicated. They will look at all the different banks and they will a lot of the time go, actually, we are picking which bank we want to join on their green and sustainability credentials. And that's why I think partly Standard Charter works very hard to make sure that it's known out there actually how we want to position ourselves as one of the better guys because I think it attracts it attracts new talent. People are, think it's important. Yeah, I think it's it's where things are moving towards. You're either with it or you lose out. Yeah. But I'll come back to you in a moment in terms of the, the culture. The, the question I really want to ask you as well, and I keep forgetting, is <laughs> the work you do, when you say no or when you push out your, your, your code of practice, mm. that must have an impact on other organisations and other countries mm. in terms of positively driving change. Is that the case? Definitely. I think one of the most exciting things that we've done in the last couple of years was our team again we try and look at trends so we look at where trends are going in the marketplace and obviously climate change is a massive one and we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years looking at coal so we came out uh, in October last year and said we will no longer fund any coal fire power stations which doesn't necessarily sound like a big deal if you look at Europe but bearing in mind we only operate in emerging markets so you know India, China, Indonesia, Bangladesh places that rely heavily on coal fire power that was a big statement and at the time it put us way ahead of a lot of our competitors fast forward a year not only now have all our peer banks made the same commitments but also some of the local banks. So the Singaporean banks have come out in the last couple of weeks to say they're also not going to fund any more new coal-fired power stations. One of the Japanese banks has done the same. There's murmurings in the Chinese banks, which everyone thought that would never happen. So definitely, I certainly would not credit all that change just to Standard Chartered, (laughs) but it certainly helps that when a big name makes a statement like that, 
there is a ripple effect. And then the other banks start looking at it going, okay, well now, okay, it doesn't look good that we're still doing this. And of course, the NGOs that have now said, great, Standard Chartered, that's really good. Now move on and start <laughs> trying to get the other banks to do the similar thing. So it definitely is part of a change movement. Yeah. Um, I think I th- you're being modest. <laughs> um, I do Maybe. think that. But is there a risk for the bank then in terms of some of this, these decisions to make them less commercial? There's certainly pushback. Well, no, pushback's the wrong word. There's certainly some possible reluctance initially because there is always a financial hit. If you if people are coming to you to finance projects and all of a sudden you're saying, well, 50% of these projects that used to come to us, we can no longer get involved in, there is a revenue impact of that. And initially there is some nervousness in the bank. You know, people have targets, they have a, a job, you know, they've got to do their job. But what we also try and work very hard at with a lot of training and a lot of information sessions, getting specialists in is to say, okay, well, we're, we're shutting off one avenue of business here for you. And whether it's coal or whether it's asbestos, which is another one we've recently said, no, we're not financing any more asbestos products. Whatever it is, you do have to replace it. So, of course, with the fossil fuel stuff, we're now trying to push more investment in renewables. You know, asbestos stuff's a bit more difficult to replace, but you you have, do have to look at other avenues to, to plug the gaps. Because, yeah. yeah, when you say no to things, you are cutting off potential revenue. But the idea is to try and drive enough culture change that you're not chasing those opportunities anymore because it's not where the bank's going it's not going to be supported so it involves a huge culture change in the bank to say actually that's not what we're about anymore we're about pushing sustainability so you know don't even talk to me about coal go and chase the you know the new i don't know hydrogen developments or battery power or renewables or whatever it is because that's where the bank wants to go and it, it takes time. And some people pick it up very quickly and go, well, that's brilliant. Yeah, we're on board. And some people who've been there for a long time go, this is madness. We're all going to go down the tubes if we don't do this business. So culture change, as you well know, it takes a long time. And some people pick it up very quickly and run with it. And some don't. Yeah. And let's just follow that a little bit more. So culture change in terms of how you do business, in terms of the, the, the funding and the projects, but also... What else is changing in terms of people's appetite for the sustainable working, for the, the kind of much more values-led approach? Are you seeing there's a ripple effect as well around that? Definitely. I think another new thing that's come out strongly, not new, but the bank is pushing it very heavily, is the sustainable development goals. Because obviously they were supposed to be achieved by 2020 and, and you know a lot of them are still lacking so again there's a big drive in the bank things like gender diversity and inclusion pushing projects that address a lot more of the yeah the climate stuff in the sustainable development goals but also much broader issues you know fair working conditions you know flexible working you know trying to get more women in the workplace women on the boards things like that there's there's change going on all over actually and i think our team certainly has gone from being a slightly annoying bit on the side which you had to get a tick before you could get your project through to actually being right in the centre of the bank now and hence this new sustainable finance team which we've now been put into um, because that now is one of the three core pillars of the bank. So it's that's a, a new thing and it's if you look at again our sort of peer banks their environmental social risk team is often still sitting in a different area or they're still sitting with risk Mm. or they're still sitting with credit 
they're not sitting in the business, which is where we've now been brought in, because the idea is we no longer want you to be a box that needs to get ticked. We want you to be part of where the business is going. So it's ambitious. And, you know, as I said, we're a tiny team. It's a huge bank and there's a lot of work to be done, especially in the regional offices. But it's, yeah, it's a beginning of a culture change. And a little bit of future gazing. What next Mm. for the team and for the bank, do you think, around this area? I think, I mean, from, from the sustainable finance perspective, definitely the push is to do more sustainable financing now that's quite a jargon term which is hard to explain a bit (laughs) yeah um but what it means really is saying from now on okay you've got to hit all the criteria that i've mentioned before so if if we're going to finance palm oil you know you've got to commit to no deforestation no planting on peat no exploitation of people no but that now is almost a given if a palm oil client for instance now comes to us and we put together a sustainability linked product They've already had to meet all that. So we might say something like in year one, if you manage to capture all your carbon emissions from your mills, for instance, then we will give you a discount rate. And in year two, if you manage to trace your all of your palm oil supply back to farm and can prove that there's no deforestation there, we again will reduce interest rates. Year three, if you can do da 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 da. And you can do the same with oil and gas clients, with mining clients, with whatever it is. So the idea is to just try and push, keep pushing the boundaries, keep pushing performance. And I think that's what's quite exciting. And that a lot of the time, clients are actually coming to us before we even get out there and saying, OK, we want to do a green bond. And we're like, oh, OK, <laughs> we'll help put that together for you. But that's definitely ballooned in the last six months that that's what clients now want because they want to be able to go out to the market and go, look, we've got all these green financing because we're going to achieve all these great targets. And again, it's A, it looks good. B, it attracts lower fight, lower um, cost finance and it's great for the reputation and it's necessary. I mean, you know, I think everyone's woken up to the fact yeah. that we, we can't do business as usual anymore. I think um, you've just summarised the whole thing in one word there. It's necessary. <laughs> that's quite a yeah. powerful thing to say. Mate, yeah. you're so passionate about this and I'm guessing yeah. your team are as passionate or... definitely is that infectious is are you creating a culture of passion I hope so I definitely Don't be hope modest. so yes then I think we are okay. and I think what's exciting is that now we get brought on much earlier so if there's something that you know one of the bankers is interested in getting involved in a solar power plant or something they come to us before they've even expressed any interest to the client they're like we're thinking of this project what do you think you know is there anything we should be asking them is there anything that you're concerned about basically give us some information so that we can go and sit before the client and we can you know make this into a really good project and that is exciting because I don't think bankers would have done that 10 years ago so it's I think it is infectious and as you say everybody on a personal level doesn't matter what your job is Everyone knows it's necessary now, don't they, I think, to be involved in this sort of work. But it's nice to see it in a bank. I never thought I would be proud to work for a bank. I thought I would (laughs) be like, I want to work for a bank. But but no, I am proud to work for them because I think they genuinely believe in it. I couldn't work for them if they didn't. A few years ago, when we had in the UK the big crisis around banks and culture, 
a survey was undertaken and the response or the result from it was quite depressing. And it said, to change the culture of banks, we need a generation. Mm. A generation has to change. But I do wonder if you found a quicker way of doing it with this. Because mm. to say you're proud to work for a bank, excellent. And I'm mm. guessing that, again, that infectious nature of doing the right thing, the necessary thing, is creating more people like you. Definitely. And what I'm seeing is in other banks with environmental and social teams, they are recruiting from the likes of Oxfam, from Greenpeace, from all these organisations that, again, I'm sure these people would say exactly what I've just said. Never in a million years would they have thought they would end up working for a bank. And again, you can't make that change unless you genuinely believe you're not being brought in to pay lip service to go, oh, well, we've got someone from Greenpeace working in our ENS team, so we take it seriously. You know, you wouldn't retain that person. So I don't think it has taken a generation. And I think banks are still not liked because I think there was so much bad behaviour that went on. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't, I suppose, linked to the stuff that I do. It wasn't linked to environmental and social or climate change aspects. So I think, I'm not sure people will still love banks in the next five years or so, but I think the more understanding there is of how seriously they do try and take this stuff, I think hopefully the image might change a bit. And I certainly think that is what our CEO is trying to do. Clearly, at the end of the day, he's a banker and the bank has to make money. That's the why it's there. But I think there's very much a, the bank has to make money by doing things the right way. Um, and that's the difference, I think. Brilliant. What a lovely point to end on. Sam, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.